do it. Let's get a culty. Let's get a Ouija board. Let's do this. Let's have a satanic ritual. Hello, Michelle. Geordie. Hello. Hello. How are you? How are you? I'm good. How are you? Great. Great stuff. Great. Great. Good. Good. Great. All the good and all the greats. Aren't we lucky? eh? we are lucky. We are lucky. Sun is shining. I know it's always a weather report with me. Sun (laughs) is shining. Well, I'm not going to give a weather report. I'm just going to say, hello, eavesdroppers. You are most welcome to eavesdrop on me, Geordie, and my friend, Michelle. While we have a natter. Are you up for it? Sometimes it's scary. Sometimes it's dirty. Sometimes it's funny. It's up to us, really. And you can just listen along for the ride. What do you think of that? Well, I'm going to answer for them. Sounds great. Oh, I'm glad. Welcome. I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. Welcome, eavesdroppers. That's what you're officially called. Eavesdroppers, that's right. Yes. I had something to say, but I can't remember what it was, Michelle. Can you help jog my memory? I don't remember. Oh, I know what it was. Yes. I had a little psychic moment with a listener yesterday. Our listener, Karen, mother of Baxter, the Whippet, She wrote in just as I had posted a message on our group dog walking WhatsApp group. Yes, it's a thing. It's huge. It ping, ping, pings all the time. And my husband had found somebody's bank card. So I just thought I'd give everyone a heads up. And as I did that, Karen got really excited. She had just turned on last week's episode of eavesdropping. And then my name flashed up. It was like, All the universe had converged at once to make a happy accident of Geordie coming in your ears. Amazing. You see, that's the synchronicity of life. It's your little psychic moment. I was a psychic murderer last week. That's right. You are just out there bringing joy through dogs and podcasts. Exactly. What a fantastic episode yours was last week, Michelle, your one-hander. That was such an interesting story about, if you hadn't listened to that episode, go back. It's number... 16, season four, it was about people who had been convinced that they had committed a murder when actually they hadn't at all. Yeah, it's quite something. Mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing and shocking that we have such fragile minds that we are all susceptible. Easily broken. Yeah, to influence and suggestion. It's really quite something. We all live on a fragile tightrope. Yeah. It worries me somewhat. I'll convince you of other things. Okay, good. Yes, like the earth is flat. No, it's yeah, not. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't know about that. I even, not even I believe that. And I believe some stuff. <laughs> Speaking of which, actually. Yes. Uh, a couple of weeks back, we talked about Neil the Scientist's comments about the Calvine incident. Let's just recap listeners who Neil the Scientist is. It's a friend of the show and his name's Neil and he is real. He is an actual scientist and he listens, I think, every week, Michelle. Yes, he does. He's so interactive that it's warranted him his own jingle. Neil the Scientist. Neil. He's real. Neil the Scientist. Neil. He's a scientist. Neil. Orange peel. He blinded us with science. He's our factifier. He's our fact rectifier. Him and school teacher Linda, lovely, love you, long time Linda, like to help us to get our facts straight. Because in case you hadn't noticed, we don't often manage that. I think we also have to not forget our Taggart, who will be straight on the blower 
if we get something wrong. Oh, yes. He likes to straighten things out for us as well. <laughs> we are very lucky. We have all of these wonderful eavesdroppers who give us the old titbit bits of tit. And we... <laughs> what? <laughs> and... And Neil, Neil the scientist, got in touch. What is he saying, Michelle? I love it when everybody gets in touch. All of you, get in touch. We love it. I know, we do love it. So it was all about the Calvine incident, which, quick recap, early 90s, two guys uh, saw a diamond-shaped UFO in the skies above the Scottish Highlands. Or did they? Or did they? Well, Neil had a theory about one Harrier jet being a friendly highly secret government defence craft. Right. Well, the Harrier jet escorting what was uh, yes. a highly secret government defence craft. Friendly, so UK or US. And we talked about high-tech ground mapping laser technology that the craft might have been used for in the early 90s when the Calvine incident took place. I think I accidentally outed Neil's top secret mission from that time. Well, I was concerned about that, Michelle. Yes, well, oops. Neil should know better to tell you all his secrets. Well, you know, all it takes is one glass of bubbles. I've got loosey goosey (laughs) Loose lips. Loose lips. Sinking ships. But it turns out Neil, you know, has talked to me, us, anyone who wants to actually go onto the Facebook page and read his comments. And he says, and I quote, the description of the laser technology is about right. He says, the system fires a laser from a plane or a machine on the ground and creates a 3D model of the area. Whoa. Kind of amazing. And he says, we use this stuff a lot nowadays. We do, do we? Oh, you mean him him and his well, not you and scientific I. community. I think people, earthlings, uh, humans. <laughs> we as a as a human race, we now have this technology and we collectively use this stuff a lot nowadays. Oh, it's a bit like what I said. When I said those lasers that you point at walls to see if there's electrical cables or steels behind it. Builders use them. You can get them from B&Q. I think it's a little more complex. Just putting it out there, Jordi. I mean, they do fire lasers from a plane and create a 3D model of the area. So a little bit more advanced than B&Q. All right. Can I ask something else? Yeah. We also talked two weeks ago or sometime, three weeks ago, you had a story about the Betty and her friend from Bingo and their grandson (laughs) who stopped and saw a very similar... Yes, they the, saw a similar one and they got awful burns because there was some bright lights. Do you think maybe they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time? And that was another craft similar to Calvine. And it was also doing a 3D imagery and they just got caught in it. You'd think there'd be ground staff. There'd be military ground staff keeping people away, wouldn't you? You would think that it would be a little more monitored if that was what was yeah. going on. And if we look back at the Cash Landrum incident from a few weeks ago, the craft was hovering, not too high up. I don't know that it would be mapping. I, I think it would be have have to be higher if it was mapping. Yeah. And, I, and then area. you accidentally get caught in the beam. I mean, they were very close. Mm. So I'm not sure. But Neil, please write in if you've got some theories about that one. We would love to hear. But going back mm. to what he says about Calvine, you know, talking about these 3D model lasers. Like I said, he says... His words, we use this stuff a lot nowadays, but when I started working on this in 2003, 
Neil was working on Whoa. the laser mapping. Yes. Oh, my gosh. He says, in 2003, we were building the world's first ground-based laser scanner. He's a clever huh. guy. He's a clever guy. We know him. We know he him. He listens to our podcast. <laughs> and he says... We've done a jingle. Done got a jingle and all sorts. Mm-hmm. He says, there were already laser scanners from aircraft available commercially at that time. He's talking about 2003. He says, a laser scanner doing the same thing 13 years earlier would have been very advanced but not out of the question to be used by the military. I'm like, really, Neil? You think the military had that kind of tech? Well, who else would have it? If it existed, because, you know, I still think it's aliens, you know. You want it to be aliens. But it's very interesting that someone who's got it in with the scientific laser community, (laughs) he says, you know. As we're calling them now. It was a possibility. Yes, I know. That's a high-tech term. He then goes on to say, and these are his words, no idea why the craft would have been diamond shaped though. Perhaps it was also testing low radar profile stealth technology so they could fly these things over battlefields and be less likely to have them shot down, question mark. I like how you're thinking, Neil. Yes, Mm -hmm. I'm on board with that. He then says, I can't explain the high speed departure though. He says, I'm not a rocket surgeon. (laughs) Surgeon. <laughs> so a little nerd joke there from Neil, but thank you. I right. love that. Thanks, so, Neil. Really, thank you so much, Neil, for you writing, you calling you up. interact. I know he's calling up Mars Society for us. He does all those things. He's very valued member of our community here at Eavesdropper. Now, if you want to get involved and send us comments on our Facebook page, the page itself is facebook.com forward slash eavesdropping podcast. <laughs> That's is. it. Something like that. Yes, you'll, you'll find, find it. Us. Just remember to drop the G, G and put an apostrophe there. Actually, no, not on the uh, no? Facebook last part because you don't have punctuation. No apostrophes. On your URL. But okay. you'll find us. You'll find us. We've got our faces in a pink frame. Michelle, are we ready to talk about our Subject today. I'm ready. I'm ready to rock and roll, Geordie. Are you ready to rock and roll? Because that is what this week's episode is all about. Back to two handers. Michelle and I are going to tell you, dear listeners, about rock and roll and the occult. (laughs) Spooky. I've called my part of this episode legend has it. Now, the reason why I've said that is because a lot of the info that I've got you know, anything that's pre-internet, it's got to be based on people's recollections, memories, often false memories. We've discussed memories in the past, very recently, in fact. And you actually said in last week's episode, Michelle, if you say something as a memory and you repeat it enough times, everybody kind of starts to believe it was true rather than just, uh, oh, I've got that slightly wrong. Like I remember we had a pool when I was a baby, like two or three years old. And I remember being in the pool in my cardigan, fully dressed. Okay, weird. But my mother said that didn't happen. (laughs) It was in the pool. It was empty. Right. No water in it. That makes sense. Very confusing. Well, look, I've got an ex-boyfriend who cheated on me, but he's (gasps) retold the story to all our friends that he didn't. And the thing is that he's told himself that enough times that he doesn't believe that he cheated. All our friends remember it. So it's like, mate, you can't give false memories to everyone. pulling him up on that? Well, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they do. But it's also like, come on, you know, 
You can fool yourself, but you can't fool everyone else. So going back to rock and roll, Michelle, I'm going to tell you all about the things that I know, the things that interest me with regards to rock and the occult. And I want to go right back to the very first recorded incident of a musician selling his soul to the devil in exchange for musical prowess and success. And his name was Robert Johnson. He was an American blues musician and songwriter. In particular, his style was the Delta Blues style. And he was Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's first ever rock star. They've decided he was the first one. And it was all the way back. Well, he was born in 1911, but he didn't start working until a bit later. I haven't got the date. I haven't (laughs) got the date in. I'll get back to that. This guy, well, he's got a single. If you want to hear it, you can get it on Spotify. I heard it. It's called Terraplane Blues, and it's really cool, but it only really sold about 5,000 copies. But this guy, right, Robert Johnson, he was born in 1911, and the myth goes that Robert was a lazy womanizer who couldn't play at all until he went to the crossroads of Route 49 and 61 in America and made a deal with the devil. According to legend, as I said, legend has it. Johnson took his guitar to the crossroads in Mississippi at midnight and the devil appeared. Maybe he did an incantation or something, I don't know. But the devil took the guitar, tuned it for him. That was nice of him. Played a couple of songs, handed it back to Johnson and took his soul in return for the ability to play the blues like a motherfucker. This is quite a famous legend. There have been movies made about it. I think, in fact, really, Crossroads. I think there is a movie called Crossroads. Well, starring Britney Spears. I don't know. I have to get my facts on that. Mm. That's a proper eavesdropping, <laughs> like wrong factoid. There's a lot of folklore around that. And in fact, they say that Elvis similarly went and sold his soul. I did see that written down, yes. But I didn't talk about Elvis on this occasion. There wasn't enough information on the internet. Yeah, very interesting. It worked. He did sell his soul. Johnson was playing and recording. And now this is in the 30s. I didn't get my date right earlier, but it's now the 30s. It worked for him. And he had a lot of acclaim for about three years until he died suddenly at that magical cursed age for rock stars. He set the precedent. 27. Wow. That's right. That's the age that Amy Winehouse and Janis Joplin. Kurt Cobain. Uh, Kurt Cobain was a Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Was also 27. Jim Morrison. Yeah, the 27 Club, they call it. That's the cursed rock star age. That was in 1938. His death was due to pneumonia. Apparently, though, he got pneumonia because he was poisoned by an angry club owner whose wife had run off with him. Interesting little fact. Not a lot of info there. Let's just swing back a bit to our first ever eavesdropping episode way back in 2020, I think it was. It was November 2020. Episode one, series one. We were talking about Alistair Crowley, weren't we? You kicked it all off with some Crowley. The Beast of Hastings. He's an occultist, in case you don't know. And for those who followed his teachings, there was quite a few throughout, you know, when he was active in the hundreds and the 20s and the 30s. I think he died in the 40s. There's a lot of followers who were interested in his bohemian ways and his interesting church that he made up. And Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin was one of the famous people who did love all the things that Crowley did. And there's a rumour that members of Led Zeppelin also performed a ritual in order to get stardom. And it was a Crowleyan style ritual. And I did talk about that back in episode one, so I'm not going to go into detail. You can go back and find it. Legend has it. The trouble that ensued after they got their stardom, there's always payback. And 
the three members who took part in the ritual, Jimmy Page, Robert Plant and drummer John Bonham, all suffered mishaps, quite dramatic mishaps after that. And the band was kind of followed by some cursed behaviour. So for Jimmy Page, who later bought Alistair Crowley's Scottish haunted Bleskin Manor, which I also told a story about in that very first episode about a half-finished ritual that let all the demons in, if you remember, Michelle, that Crowley did. He went off to a party, left all the portals open. Poor old Paige, he went down a dark drug-addled path and got sick on a tour. And then there's all that bad luck that they had. I think it was the same tour where a man was beaten by their manager and drummer John Bonham. And then there was an overcrowded concert that followed, that had a riot. So there's a lot of negative things that happened to the band uh, that was in 1975, Boston Gardens. No one died, but people did die at a Who concert for overcrowding. That's just an aside because no one died in the Led Zeppelin one. But if you dig a little deeper, there's also rumours about underage shagging, groupies chained to the bed all day, and a groupie and a mud shark, which is just awful. I mean, you can go on the internet, nothing to do with the occult, just horrible stories relating to that band. But going back to Crowley... In 1973, Jimmy Page and filmmaker Kenneth Anger met at a Sotheby's auction where they were both bidding on a manuscript from Alistair Crowley. And Anger, at the time, had been working on a short film called Lucifer Rising and he needed some music for the film. So he asked Jimmy Page, who agreed to write something. So he wrote and performed this 20 minutes of spooky music for the film. But it wasn't enough for Kenneth Anger. He was Angered, Michelle. It wasn't scary enough. No, he Just wanted 40 minutes. Loop it round. No, he wanted more. For God's sake. It wasn't cut enough. It, cut it up. Loop it round. That's what he, well, they fell out spectacularly. Paige's girlfriend at the time, Charlotte Martin, evicted anger from the basement. This was all in Boleskine right. Manor, Crowley's old haunted manor, where he'd been staying. And Kenneth Anger, angered anger, said of Jimmy, he's a miser, which is a horrible thing. He wouldn't even pay for lunch. So I said, isn't it preposterous that you're so cheap? And that, of course, insulted him. He was on heroin all the time. I hate all those druggies because their eyes get glazed and what they say is meaningless because they don't follow through. I said, OK, Jimmy, I need exactly 40 minutes. But he only gave me 20. And I said, what am I supposed to do? Play it twice? I need 40 minutes. I need a climax. Like it's the beginning of the end of the world, this film. You've got to give me that big music. So the big old fallout had Kenneth Anger publicly cursing Jimmy Page and his girlfriend, who he called a horrible vampire girl. He said that they had so many servants, they wouldn't even make him a sandwich when he was staying there. So he cursed them. He said, so I did turn her and Jimmy Page into statues of gold because they both lost their minds. He can't write songs anymore. Except he could. And he wasn't a golden statue after that, I don't think. I was going to say, Kenneth Anger's got some some mental health issues, potentially. Maybe he was on the old crack as well. Maybe. But there are some more asides regarding anger that I just wanted to mention because that film, Lucifer Rising, starred Bobby Beausoleil, who was famous because he went on to become a Manson family member and is in prison for the murder of Gary Hinman, who he murdered on the say-so of Charles Manson. That's some interesting rock folklore or just, you know, folklore of that time. It was a mad time. It was a mad time. It was mental. I think it's because the drugs were really strong. Yes, could have been. The heroin was pure-ish. Like it wasn't all cut down like they do these days. And the drugs were, you know, the psychedelics were super strong. They didn't know about levels and degrees of 
hallucinogens yeah. and how much to take and how much was in what they were taking. That's right. But that doesn't account for some of the bad luck that happened to poor old Robert Plant. And I did talk about in episode mm. one where he had the terrible car accident with his whole family and then later on his young son died, which wasn't related to the car accident. It was just really heartbreaking. Yeah. But is that just coincidence? Nevertheless, the band's antics yes. got them a bit of a satanic reputation. And in 1982, televangelist, how do you say that? Tele- televangelist. Televangelist. Paul Crouch Jr., he made a claim that you could play Stairway to Heaven backwards and hear the following. Here's to my sweet Satan, the one whose little path would make me sad, whose power is Satan. He will give those with him 666. There was a little tool shed where he made us suffer. Sad Satan. Okay, if you were actually going to have a message, you wouldn't have that. Would it be that? Really, it's Mm. like quite a shit message. A backwards well, message. Planty did respond. Okay. He said, who on earth would have ever have thought of doing that? You've got to have a lot of time on your hands to consider that people would do that. Yeah. Put them straight. There we go. So moving on from Led Zeppelin, because they're the most famous kind of satanic culty band, really. They've got a lot of stories about them. But I am a lifelong fan of the 80s band Killing Joke. And in fact, I'm such a big fan of them that I'm actually named after their guitarist. What? Geordie Walker. That's a new factoid. That's how I got my nickname because I was so into Killing Joke. Did not know that. Wow. I've known you a long time. Uh, They've got a documentary (laughs) called The Death and Resurrection Show, which is directed by Sean Pettigrew and based on singer Jazz Coleman's Letters from Kathira book. I didn't know, despite being the namesake of Geordie Walker, that the band was so witchy. I didn't even know that. I just thought they were post-punk and fun. 80s. Do you remember that song? Yeah. I'm living in the 80s. Yep. And there are other big hits. Love Like Blood. Okay. Is it that one? No. I don't know that one. You might be thinking of the cult or something. Anyway, this band started after Jazz Coleman, the lead singer, met a man in an unemployment benefit queue and he introduced himself and said, hi, my name's Jazz and I'm going to form a band. And this guy said, I know. And I'm going to introduce you to the drummer. So they went off to Notting Hill, a house in Notting Hill, and he introduced jazz to drummer Big Paul. Not Little Paul. Not Little Paul, but Big Paul. And both men, it turns out, were into the occult. And they both immediately had this connection and they felt that they'd known each other in a previous life. They thought, this is it, we've got our band, but we need more people. Obviously, we need a guitarist and a bass player. So they drew a big circle and performed a ritual that then brought forth former bedroom guitarist Geordie and bass player Youth. Okay. But I think they may have burned Paul's flat down in the process of doing this <laughs> ritual. So anyway, they became successful really quickly. They didn't care too much about the money and all that kind of thing. They had their own agenda, I think. And Jazz in particular had a habit of taking off. And he even once took Geordie with him to Iceland where they ended up staying for ages, kind of left the band. Right. And they found all these like-minded musicians and people. They had a super-duper magical time there interpreting Alistair Crowley books and levitating on glaciers. Wow. There's been stories of seeing Jazz levitate, yes. He was into the esoteric Rosicrucianism order which had emerged from Europe in the 17th century. And it's something called Universe B, which is an alternative reality. Okay. And there's a belief. I couldn't find a lot of info about this. The belief is that there's an alternate universe that can be accessed all over the world through different portals. And you've just got to find the portals. But I kind of love that idea. It's magic. It is magic. I feel like all of these musicians are opening portals and 
doing all of these rituals. Making shit happen. Making shit happen. But also I think when you're, you know, in your maybe late teens, early 20s, you're not really thinking about the future consequences of what you're doing. Leaving those portals open like Crowley did. Yeah, exactly. But also just the mere fact of even dabbling in that stuff, it's quite serious. Yeah. I think, you know, you're all kind of like gung-ho and young and like, woo, let's just do it. Let's get a culty. Let's get a Ouija board. Let's do this. Let's have a satanic ritual and I think there are consequences yes could be Michelle and I think the older you get the more you think I don't want to mess around with that stuff yeah not the dark side anyway now there's a lot of things I could tell you about Jazz Coleman Mm. because he's so interesting he is a virtuoso violin player he has written and conducted many many symphonies including the current Zeppelin symphony that he's done that he's got the Chevalier Letters Award from France you know he's very prolific and interesting and he's a witch or an occultist but there was this one thing that happened that really made me interested and it was a gig that happened very early on in their career in 1981 it was at a venue called the Reading Hexagon and it was a busy gig There was a lot of people there and all the band remember this. And they've all spoken about this on the documentary. What documentary is it? The Death and Resurrection Show. And Jazz Coleman says it's because all the timelines and the locations and the ley lines were all converging at the same time. And this is what happened. He says, we played a gig with a fire eater doing a fire ritual, which is another interesting story, by the way, but that's something for another day. It was sold out. The place was going crazy. All of a sudden, everything went slow motion so the band are playing and then suddenly it goes silent for the band they're looking around and they're seeing everybody frozen and slow motion and some of the members of the band can recall how they felt at that moment what the fuck is going on yeah and it was like for a couple of minutes or something and then after that it was just like a wave crashing and it all went back to normal drugs apparently the band were looking around at each other afterwards going what the they kind of acknowledged each other that they had all experienced this moment i don't know about the audience it was like they were moving underwater but then suddenly the wave crashed and they were all pogoing again do you remember you had talked about time slips yeah I don't remember actually talking about time slips. Oh, okay. What did I say? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I said yes, but I didn't remember. I think it was a a woman who had come out of a... Oh, yes. A B&Q or a Boots or something. And she was like, where the hell am I? And And it was back in 1970 and I had different cars and another person was there. Two people acknowledged it. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if there's some kind of connection with that. I love the idea. It's a bit scary. It is a bit scary. It reminds me of Picnic at Hanging Rock as well. Anyway, so that was the moment. Jazz said that the band has talked about it for 30 odd years and he's written about it in depth. He said basically we were on a magnetic field and it produced a very strange effect. I've studied it with people like Uri Geller and Jimmy Page who've had similar experiences. Now, interesting. if this had just been Jazz Coleman's recollection, I would have taken that with a pinch of salt. But all of the band remember, because yeah. he is quite, you know, out there, Jazz. All the band remember, but do they? This is what I'm saying. Or did they were some of them on drugs? Yeah, I don't know. I love it though. I do love it. They also blagged their way later on in the nineties. They blagged their way into the King's Chamber in a pyramid in Cairo to record an album. They only managed, I think, a song because so many things kept going wrong. They wanted to record there because it was on a certain degree latitude, which is tied with the Earth energy ley lines. And in fact, Youth said that the St Michael ley line that goes through the UK, I believe. 
runs also through Glastonbury and it continues through that pyramid. Apparently they had loads of problems. Batteries were going flat. People were running out of there screaming until eventually they had a few nuns come in all dressed up in Egypt outfits and they had to do some ceremonies and then they got a great song. Right. I was going to say the pharaohs did not want them in there. They're like, shut the fuck up. We don't want to hear your music. We just want to have some peace. Let me be in my sarcophagus. Ultimately, the band just acknowledged themselves as being very odd and just said to Time Out, we have a grandmaster, an ordained priest, a druid, which is youth, uh, one of the greatest art restorers in the world and someone who works with David Rockefeller and I'm a dowser, which is someone who uses divining sticks to find water and a student of Rosicrucian history. It's an unusual group. The principle of self-education and the punk ethos, having no fear of failure, has helped us all to pursue anything we want. Wow. I like it. Okay. But I will say one more thing. Did they curse Kurt Cobain because you know that song 80s yeah come as you are by Nirvana was a direct rip-off everybody knew it everybody knew it and they never acknowledged it and I think the band did actually take up a bit of a claim for copyright on Nirvana but then Kurt Cobain died but Jazz didn't curse him contrary to some what some people have said they just said you know what leave it it doesn't matter Well done. They love us as a band. And anyway, later on, they got Dave Grohl to drum for a whole album. Right. So it was all sorted out. In the end, they didn't curse Kurt. But I will move on and tell you finally, very quickly, if I may, Michelle, a story about David Bowie. Oh, Now, what you said earlier made me think about this because you said when people are young and they're going a little bit mad and then they're not thinking about the consequences. Well, poor old David, when he was in that era of the Thin White Duke, which was the mid-70s, he went to L.A. in 75 and he stayed at the house of Glenn Hughes, who was Deep Purple's bass player in Los Feliz. Los Feliz. Los Feliz. Los Feliz. This address was eerily close to where the Manson family's La Bianca Tate murders or actually it was the La Bianca murder house was situated and that was the murder of Rosemary and Leno La Bianca by the members of Charles Manson's family cult in August it was actually on my birthday August 10 a lot of horrible things happened on that day murders and such it was in 1969 so this is some years later that's when the murders were 69 we're now in 75 with David and Glenn from Deep Purple and basically, Bowie had a feeling he sensed a Manson connection to Glenn Hughes's house where he was a guest. To be fair, his paranoia could have been to do with the vast amounts of cocaine that he was using. But a biographer notes that David was obsessed with using occult magic to attain success. Really? And protect himself from demonic forces. Now look, he was quite frightened. I had not heard that about David Bowie. I find that really fascinating. That's a new little well, factoid. Well done, Geordie. Thank you. Even Bowie, though, acknowledges his cocaine use was sending him a bit balmy. <laughs> so he was reading the book Psychic Self-Defense by Dion Fortune, which I read. Yes. And we did a whole episode on Dion Fortune, who was a contemporary, I think, of Crowley. Um, this is a book about magical paranoia and curse placing. And in addition to that, he was also drawing protective pentagrams everywhere. He was quite frightened. Speaking of pentagrams everywhere, did you see my dad's pyjamas the other week? I did. Covered in pentagrams. What's that about? He's protecting himself from psychic (laughs) intrusion. 
<laughs> demonic intrigue. Well, I hope it's worked. <laughs> anyway, Glenn Hughes also remembers that David Bowie would go off on bizarre tangents about Alistair Crowley, Nazis or numerals. So he's filling his mind. He's becoming a little obsessed. Bowie also said, my other fascination was with the Nazis and their search for the Holy Grail. I paid with the worst manic depression of my life. My psyche went through the roof. It just fractured into pieces. I was hallucinating 24 hours a day. I felt like I'd fallen into the bowels of the earth. And in despair, David Bowie reached out to Cherry Vanilla, who was a former employee of David's management company, Main Man, who introduced David to a white witch. Cherry Vanilla says... He had this whole thing about these black girls who were trying to get him to impregnate them and make a devil baby. What? This is what David thought was going on. Oh, my God. He asked me to get a white witch to take the curse off him, and he was serious. Uh, So I actually knew someone in New York who claimed she was a white witch, and she was the only one I'd ever met, so I put him in touch with her. I don't know whatever happened to her, and I don't know if she removed the curse. But... Angie Bowie says of that time, she was successful. The witch was successful in removing the curse. She remembers the witch came round and exercised the pool. And Angie had written in her own biography, at a certain point in the ritual, the pool began to bubble. It bubbled vigorously, perhaps thrashed is a better term, in a manner inconsistent with any explanation involving filters and the like. (gasps) So this woman was the real deal. She was a white witch. Well... Was she or were they all on drugs? This is what I want to say. Mm. You know, This witch had a lot of rock connections. She'd made a spoken word album with Robert Fripp. I can't remember her name. I didn't write it down. And she also knew Hendrix and Bolin. Okay. So they were all at it, Michelle. Yeah. And ultimately, what I'd just like to say is that there is a book out there you can read called Season of the Witch, How the Occult Saved Rock and Roll. And it's by a man called Peter Berbergal. And I think it's well worth a read if you're interested in that subject. Thank you. I love that. I did not know that about Bowie. I think that's really fascinating. You know, there's been a lot of eyes on him. In fact, isn't there some kind of um, stage show at the moment here in London? Not sure. I don't know. I saw some poster the other day. And, you know, his death. I was in Brixton at the time. You know, the, the outpouring of love and emotion for David Bowie. That little fact white witches and losing his mind and haunted mm, having his pool exercise and you know thinking that he was meant to be having a devil baby they <laughs> sweep all that under the carpet geordie but you have brought it to life yeah. thank you so much I'm not sure if they'll thank me for it apologies from me apologies to you why do i always sound so australian i too have some uh, rock and roll Bits and I actually called mine Haunted by Rock and Roll. Hey! Um, and actually, I'm going to start off with just a little thing I found out about Miley Cyrus. Now, oh, yeah, you know, she, I don't know, I think she's a bit histrionic, but who knows? I read this, oh. and apparently, she briefly lived in an apartment in London that was haunted by ghosts. Well, I'd believe that. We've all been in haunted houses in London. That's the place to get haunted. That's what I think too. It's not out of the question. But the way she realised that this apartment was haunted was when her sister was in the shower. Now, she told LUK, I used to work for them, that (laughs) the experience was terrifying. And that one night, and these are her words, my little sister was standing in the shower and all of a sudden... I hear her scream. 
I run in there and the water had somehow flipped to hot. The knob had turned, but she hadn't turned it and it was burning her. She was really Had the knob turned? Well. Or is it just dodgy plumbing? That's the thing. I was about to ask what you think of that because we all know that. That shit happens in this house all the time. (laughs) And usually the opposite way. It's usually freezing cold. Yes, and you don't do anything. Or you know how when you go to hotels and whatnot all over Europe, all of the um, the turny bits, like the tappy things or the new modern mm, whatever, they're, they're, they're hard. Quite new. They're hard to work out. Sometimes hard to navigate, you know, yeah. I've had to call Andreas yeah. and say, I can't work this out. So maybe, <laughs> maybe she just didn't understand how to flip a knob. Turn a, turn a dial. So I'm not sure about this I don't one. rate that one. No. No. But she does say uh, there was another time that Miley saw mm. a ghost in the same apartment and she says, I thought I'd seen a little boy sitting on the sink watching me take a shower. So I felt really freaked out. It's all happening in the bathroom here. Water demons. Sexy shower ghost. I don't know. <laughs> you know, for anyone who, who remembers an episode where I had actually talked about the time I had a supernatural experience in the shower, I kind of, you know, I get it. This second ghost moment made Miley want to find out about the history of that apartment building. Yeah. And it turns out it used to be a bakery, which I don't think sounds very scary. But she says, and these are her words, we found out that there was this older man that owned the bakery and his son had lived with him there. And I guess the wife died or something or she'd gotten sick. So it was just the son and the dad that lived there. And then the dad died and the son took over the bakery. And I thought I was seeing the son. So she thought this little ghost was the son. Oh, I see. To me, I don't think that sounds very sinister. No, it doesn't. But Michelle, what you just slipped in that you had a ghostly experience in the shower, but you didn't elaborate. I mean, I have talked about this on the podcast before. How come I don't remember? It was quite something. It really freaked me out. In a nutshell. In a nutshell. A family member had died. I was in the shower, different continents, and uh, I received a sign while I was in the shower. What was the sign? Uh, A foot scrubber flew across the room. (laughs) Oh, my God. I don't remember that bit. Yeah, it was quite intense. Wow. So, anyway, um, poor old Miley. She'd had enough of this apartment. She eventually moved out and relocated herself to the Soho Hotel. So, you know, well, that's tough fair. times. I think that was just a good excuse for her to get out of a shitty that's room. That's what I think, so. Or a shitty accommodation. It's haunted. Get me a new room. That's what I think. She just thought, this apartment's shit. I just want to be in the Soho Hotel where all the cool kids are. She's out. I do have another story about Sure. Okay. Rock and roll legend, sure. Now, she said that she has a ghost in her house and she thinks it's the ghost of her ex, Sonny Bono. Sonny Bono. Yes. I didn't know this because I don't know when anyone has died, but Sonny Bono's dead. I know that. He died skiing. Yes. I remember when it happened. Oh, my God. So he died in a skiing accident in South Lake Tahoe in 1998 Yep. when he went off skiing on his own without his family and his body was found later that evening because I read they think he'd skied into the woods and hit a tree and died of massive head injuries, which, fucking hell, what a way to go. In a way, I hope he did die of massive head injuries rather than just injuring himself and lying there for hours waiting to be found. Dying of exposure. 
no one wore ski helmets, you know. Now it's common. Everyone, you can't even go on the piste without a helmet. You see a few rogue snowboarders with a beanie on, but in general, people wear helmets. I mean, there was also the racing car driver who died in a ski, I mean, who's uh, still in a coma. Oh, is he still? Still what was his name from again? ski accident. He's Swiss, wasn't he? I don't know that he was Swiss. Back to shirt. Now, she reckons that Sunny is messing with the lights in her house because she is quoted as saying, I actually think that Sunny makes a light go on. Uh. And she says, I have a beautiful chandelier that he makes a light go on when it's impossible that it goes on because there's no power on. But I think, you know, it sounds like lights are on, no one's home. And she said, I love ghosts. I prefer ghosts to some people. Okay. And do you know what? Me too, Cher. Fair enough. Fair enough. I hear you. That guy's name was Schumacher. Michael Schumacher. Michael Schumacher. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Severe brain injury. Well done. I think he died. I think he's, I think they're still keeping him going, aren't they? I think he's still on like, you know, coma life support. My God. Uh, Health update. Uh, He's still alive. Yeah. His wife won't allow them to turn it off. Oh, man. I guess she's hoping for a miracle. Yeah. It happened in 2014. Yeah, nearly 10 years ago he's been on that life support. Wow, that's a whole other kind of nightmare, isn't it? It is. It really is. But um, Sorry, I've kind of ignored your share story because I was so fascinated in this guy in a coma. I just don't know what the benefit is of that. I mean, obviously she's, you know, they're mega rich. So they have the means to keep Michael Schumacher still on life support, Mm. but... I don't know. I'm not, I just, I'm not sure that he's coming back. You know, we've talked about in a previous episode, when the body is alive, the brain is dead. Are you alive? Are you dead? Yes. What's, what's it all about? So. Oh, it's making me feel a bit creepy. All right. Well, we'll go Anywho. back to sure. Where she says she doesn't think that Sonny is being malicious. No, he's just saying, howdy. G'day. And he's just pranking her with the lights. Okay. And she reckons it can't be anyone except Sonny because... It was a brand new Malibu house. I don't think that's actually any kind of... No, um, I think she needs to get the electricians in personally. But okay, if you want to believe that it's sunny, that's okay. Yes. Go there. I think so too, because obviously she could be believing life after... Not just life after love, Life after life or life after death. Exactly. Or life after love. Life after love. Then I found a story. Thanks, Sher, for that and Bonnie. (laughs) So Bonnie... Sunny and Cher, Sunny Bono, Bonnie and Cher, Bonnie and Clyde. You know that recently, after hearing this uh, Jane's Addiction song in a bloody TV show yeah. that I didn't really enjoy. You didn't rate? No, well, it's not that I didn't rate it. I just felt like, and we're talking about Rain Dogs here. It was just a bit of a depressing. Why did I spend hours of my life watching this yeah. when it didn't uplift me? Anyway. But they did have this moment where there was Jane's Addiction song in yeah. the series. And it just reignited my love of Jane's Addiction. So this rock and roll spirity story is to do with Jane's Addiction singer Perry Farrell. Uh-huh. I have to say that it was only recently, Geordie, that I realised that loads of people I know in another country yeah. have never heard of Jane's Addiction. Never heard of them. Never heard been caught stealing because I've been like playing it going are you sure you don't know this song (laughs) no one's heard of them so I'm just going to put it out there and ask our eavesdroppers under 30 have you ever heard of Jane's Addiction if not go listen to them yeah or write in and let us know because it did kind of freak me out that no one had heard of Jane's 
And I feel like they're just one of those big bands that everyone had heard of. But mm. anyway, I read this article where Perry Farrell was asked if he believed in spirits. And he talked about having a personal awakening around 1993. For anyone who doesn't know about Perry Farrell, he, he he's a self-confessed junkie. Yeah. Yep. And back in 93, I don't know for certain, but I think he would have been totally fucked on heroin. Right. I don't know. But these are his words. He says, I had what you would call a vast visitation of energy. I was able to speak with a spirit for five minutes. I was asking questions and it was answering my questions. He added that this spirit encounter was what made him want to investigate spirituality in a more meaningful way. And he says it's why he started to study the Kabbalah. Because he says, I do think that we all need to understand that other world. I mean, he's Jewish, so I get why he turned to the Kabbalah. I'm just not sure I would turn to the Kabbalah for spiritual stuff. Right. It turns out Perry Farrell's also on Twitter and uh, he does answer questions. For who? Everyone? Did you ask him a question? Well, I, I'm not on Twitter. Oh. Uh, and honestly, maybe we should. Maybe we'll, <laughs> we'll drop him a line after yes. this and get him to see if he has anything to add. But um, I did read some tweets that he has replied to people when he's been talking about speaking with this spirit. Yeah. And I've got to read out of here, Jordi. You can tell me what you think. So the first one reads, I am the new source of the esoteric wisdom. You can take my reporting to the bank. I had a real encounter with a visitation of energy, brackets, an angel. I feel now is the time to report it to you all as she was a weary soul who took her own life. We spoke for approximately 10 minutes. Now, that's double what he said before. Right. So he's all over the shop. Maybe a little bit. He then goes on to tweet a guy called Alan and he says, Alan, I can't tell you where anyone goes after this life. I can tell you where the one I spoke to went because she told me, said that she travels the world and that she was so tired. The sound in her voice was weary, not happy, but accepting of her actions. True Mm. occurrence, he says. It sounds like a Quora feed. Yeah, it doesn't sound like (laughs) tweets, does it? But people are asking him about this and he's responding. And then he also tweeted a guy called Kurt where he says, Kurt, as stated, I cannot tell you where anyone goes. I'm admitting to you today that this is where she said she is. And by her description, she was in camp. I don't know what that means. Camp. She used the plural we when she began speaking. I was simply listening. Okay. Look, I actually think you're onto something. Did Perry have a a long haul flight the day or two before he had this visitation? I wonder. Because... You know, when you don't get proper sleep and stuff, you do have those conversations in your head. Right. Well, do you know what? I think you're onto something with getting in touch with him on Twitter. Maybe I'll drop him a line. I'm sure I have an old Twitter account somewhere. Okay. We don't want to tag him in this episode, though, because he'll hear us scoffing at him. Well, I'm not scoffing because I honestly wish I knew more about it because you know that I believe in altered states. I believe that maybe he really did talk to an angel. Yeah, I mean, I did say he was like out of his mind on heroin. So (laughs) I did. And he's got nice new teeth. You told me the other day as well. He's got a nice smile now. He does. He's got some new teeth. Um, And look, I do love you, Perry, but I'm fascinated to know more. 
maybe he is an eavesdropper. Could be that Perry Farrell's an eavesdropper. Yeah. You never know. Okay. You never know. If he is, get in touch because I would love to know more. Otherwise, I'm going to get in touch with you and just see if you've got anything to tell me. Good shout there because we want to know more. Yeah, okay. Leave it there with Perry and see if he gets back to us. And look, I have one last rock and roll story. Okay. And it is about Ace Freely. Now, I, I love Ace Freely. I used to have his doll. I queued up outside. I can't remember what the shop was. I'd like to say Target. Target. I think it may have been Fossies. Fossies. I found it at Fossies. Yes. <laughs> and we queued up and I got my Ace doll because everyone's going for the Paul Stanley. I went for Ace because I adored him when I was 10. And I was desperate to pick the paint off to see what he looked like underneath. Yeah. I mean, he was just a plastic doll, you yeah. know. Sadly. But do we actually need to go into who Kiss is for listeners who were born in this millennium and maybe they don't know? You want to tell them? Well, well, I mean, they were... I was made for loving you, baby. That's their big hit. One of their big hits. Shandy. The night must last us forever. And also Sure Know Something, also a favourite of mine. Oh, yes, we love that. And I sure know something. Yeah, I Was Made for Loving You was the big one. Yeah. But uh, they were basically a, what, glam rock hair metal band. With makeup. With makeup. They all wore kind of clown makeup. Yes. Black and white. Yeah. They all had different personas. And like you said, they had this makeup on, which is why Jordy wanted to pick the the face makeup off the doll to see who was underneath. Because Massive platforms, shoes. Yes. They had wild hair. Paul Stanley was the star child. He had one star on his eye, his makeup. Is that what he was? It was all black and white. Yeah. Gene Simmons was the demon with the long pointy tongue. Yeah, which was his own tongue. Was his own tongue. Wasn't even a fake tongue. Peter Chris was Catman. He was the drummer. He had a little like cat nose. little cat. And Ace Freely was Spaceman. Space, yes. He was Space Ace. Space Space Ace. I had his... um, I had his... Solo album. Did you? How'd that go? I loved it. Oh, well done. It's because you loved him. Yeah. Well, look, if you can't picture what I'm saying about their makeup, just Google them because, you know, it's wild. Like, they were the biggest band on the planet for years. They They really, really were. They got documentaries out. I watched one recently. Oh, I watched that. Yeah, but Ace isn't really on it. They had a terrible falling out, the whole band, (gasps) you know. Did they? Oh, Yes. And, you know, you do see them and you think maybe you should have kept your makeup on anyway. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, I suspected as much. Well, look, Ace Freely, he apparently has always felt he had the, a bit of a touch of the shine about him, Geordie. Touch of the shine? Yes, because he was quoted as saying, and I think it was a top quality show called Celebrity Ghost. <laughs> he was quoted as saying, I always had a sense that there was some type of connection with me and the other side. Oh. Now, he told a journalist called Aaron Sagers, and these are his words, I've seen ghosts. I believe in spirits. I believe in past lives. I mean, I was punched in the face by huh? a ghost. What? Yeah. I did try to look up more about Ace ha- having his face punched in by a spirit, but that's all I've got. To, okay. He dropped that into a conversation. Yeah. Little nugget there. But he did reveal how there were two different times when both his uh, ex-wife and his daughter were violently pushed down the stairs of no. their home in Westchester in New York. Yeah. <gasps> and he says it was a ghost that did it. 
Apparently, soon after Ace had moved into this new house, mm-hmm. he said he started to notice things were being moved around from place to place. And, you know, he and his family didn't move them. And I don't think he means they were levitating in front of him. I just think he knows he put something somewhere and then yeah. things were being shifted around. It could also just be having kids because you know what that's like. Yep. You put something somewhere, it's gone. But who are we to question Ace? You know, well. this is his memory. No. Is that it? No. There's then more? He says, okay. Of course. He says his daughter saw a ghost on the staircase in the house which has never been properly explained. Right. What did she see? Well, she just saw a ghost on the stairs. And, you know, that was that. But anyway, look, things fell apart with that wife and she and the daughter moved out. Mm. And he moved out for a while as well. But apparently when he moved back into this New York house with the new wife, she immediately picked up on the bad vibes without ever knowing about that ghost on the stairs. Right. She says she was also pushed down those same stairs. Oh, no. Somebody's jealous of all of Ace's wives. Yes. So previous wife, new wife and child all pushed downstairs by that ghost or a ghost. Might not have been the same ghost. But all of this must have freaked out poor old Ace because he went to a psychic who told him that a woman and her family had lived in the house before he bought it and supposedly... She was an abusive mother who'd murdered her children in that home, in that very house. Now, I don't know if that was verified or not. Right. And we know this from when you did Murder House episode. Right. That in America, I think after 10 years, you don't need to disclose whether or not the house you're buying is a murder house. So, look, it could be true. I don't know. I didn't have the address of Ace Freely to be able to Google that and find out whether or not it was Murder House. Okay. But very interesting. Although to be fair, he didn't go to like City Hall and check out whether it was a murder house. He just went to a psychic who told him. He just took that person's word for it and that was it. He didn't do the investigation to back it up. Unfortunately, Ace, you should have done that. Yes. Would have made our story a lot more interesting. (laughs) Oh, thanks. No, I don't mean Um, it's not interesting. It's very interesting. But then we could have had proof, Michelle, proof. Well, look, he also did talk about another incident from when he first bought that Westchester house. Yeah. Now, he says that his daughter and a friend were just watching him poodle about the house through security cameras because he was setting up the cams in the house. And he says the girls were just sort of watching the, the monitor. He says the girls saw strange lights when they were watching him through the camera. Oh, oh, oh. Which happened exactly at the same time that he started to feel a bit weird. Oh, what? Yeah, and he and this is a quote from Ace about this and the lights that his daughter saw. And these are his words. He says, she said to me that all of a sudden, from the bottom of my feet, I started to glow. And oh. the lights were coming up my whole body. And by the time they got to my waist, he <gasps> says, I don't know. I, I didn't feel right. And I just... Said, I'm out of here. I'm imagining he's up a ladder at this point. Well, I don't know where he is. Could have been very dangerous. Yes. And he says when he went back into the house, um, his daughter and her friend, their faces were white. Ooh. And and he's like, What's wrong? And they (gasps) described what happened. So, you know, and he freaked out. The kids freaked out. Everyone had freaked out. What do you think was going on? I think I think that's a good story. It's what I think. I hope Mm. it's true. I love it. I know. It's haunted. 
Now, look, he also talked about a violent, ghostly encounter from 2008 when he was lifting the top of a suitcase up. He is a ghost magnet. I think so. And look, apparently a force struck him out of nowhere, right? Wow. And he says the top of the, that suitcase, it wasn't heavy. It wasn't like powerful. There was no way that this suitcase would have caused him to be whacked. Right. So he says it had to have been a ghost. Well, there's no, no other, other explanation. explanation Ace, that is but- right. <laughs> Well, after all those other things, I'm not surprised he jumped to that conclusion, to be fair. Well, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back to that because he's connecting some dots here because oh. he says shortly after the suitcase incident, he was hit by a book that he says flew off the top of a water cooler. Oh. Who has a water cooler in their house? Ace Freely does. You're rich. Does. Rich people have water coolers. <laughs> anyway, he says that along with getting smacked in the head, by, you know, when he had the suitcase, his hand started shaking in an unexplainable way, right? Yeah. So he got hit in the head by a book, suitcase yeah. incident. He's got these shaky hands. Yeah. And he says, I was in my recording studio and I was having problems making a cup of tea because my hand was shaking. And he says, my hand never shakes. I have a steady hand and I'm pouring honey into my cup. And my hand shakes and I spill the honey. And I say to myself, what the fuck's going on? That's what Ace Freely said to himself. To himself. Guitar hero with his shaky hand. And now he's connecting all of this stuff. I think it's pretty flimsy evidence what he's got going on here. Shaky hand, book flying, hit him in the head. Dementia. Suitcase. Oh, no? my God. How old is he but now? I don't know, actually. But he reckons there's ghosts in his studio. Okay. It, it was when he got hit by the luggage that he joined the dots. So he yeah. put two and two together, came up with ghosts. That's what he reckons. Okay. But this is only the tip of the iceberg about weird shit that goes on with Ace. Right. Because he says not only do ghosts haunt his house and possibly his studio. Yeah. He says he's seen a UFO, Geordie. <gasps> That guy is so switched on. I know. He is. Like you said, he's a magnet for like weird stuff. So he says the first time he saw a UFO was when he was on a plane while on tour with Kiss. He says he's looking out the window of the plane and he saw a cigar-shaped thing in the sky. God, wouldn't you hate that? Right? Yeah. And then he also said, I see something going across the sky. These are his words. Like super fast. And I'm watching and it stops dead and goes straight up. Now, if you know a plane that can maneuver at that speed and do a tactical maneuver like that, you let me know, says Ace, because I don't think there's one made on earth that can do that. Oh, God. He is all all about the UFOs. And then in an interview with Den of Geek, which is where I got this information, he said he often sees UFOs in his backyard. In Westchester, the same house, the ghost house, right? Like Sean Ryder. Yes. So this house not only has ghosts, it also is the site of UFO visitations. And more than that, Geordie, yeah. Ace says a UFO landed uh, uh, on his property and that's... knocked him unconscious. Oh, my God. It actually knocked him unconscious. That didn't happen to Sean Ryder, but he did see a UFO in his property. Yes. Now, these are his words. He says... All I know is I woke up the next morning and I'm laying in my doorway, halfway in the house, halfway out of the house. And then 
there was like this circular burn on the grass. Oh, gosh. He says, I don't know. You tell me. I didn't really talk about it to anyone before because I didn't want people on my property. Is why he has not come out before now and said a UFO landed in my garden. Now, Ace, we love you, but is he in need of some attention? Maybe he's got a book to promote, a tour. I don't know. But the first thing I did think was, well, obviously, you know, he... He does have a past, a history of, you know, taking drugs. Sure. So maybe his mind's a little bit... Addled. Addled. Swiss cheese. Who knows? But I did wonder, was he abducted by aliens, Jordy? Because he's the spaceman. He is a spaceman. And also, in this same article, after I'd thought, I wonder if he was abducted by aliens. Yeah. He reckons the chances of that happening were 50-50. 50-50. Because... Because he says beings from another world can wipe your memory. Of course they can. So he also talks about his inspiration for songwriting. And it's actually something we've both heard before because from other creative people. Because he says he receives downloads from otherworldly forces. Wow. And he doesn't know where they're coming from. And these are his words. I I think this is really fascinating actually. He says... It's almost like they are being beamed into my head. I've had nights where I can't write the lyrics down as fast as I get them. And it's like I'm not writing them, but someone else is giving them to me. Wow. He also says Bigfoot is real. Yeah, and again, he does. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> these are his words. What I else? know, he's got it all going on. He says, I don't have the time to get into Bigfoot because where I grew up, it wasn't an issue. So everyone what? knows where he... Yeah, they all know it. Bigfoot exists wherever he goes. Oh, up. I see. And he says it's all connected. In New York. Ghosts, aliens, Bigfoot, song downloads. And he reckons that's why he was called the Spaceman in Kiss. Okay. Because he's the space fancier. Crackpot or genuinely visited I by ghosts know. and aliens. I don't I hate know. to judge. I won't judge him. I won't be making that no. call. But I love hearing about it because it makes me think about Ace again. How much did I love Ace? He was great back in the day. Oh. And that's all I got for you on it. Oh, that's Ace. amazing. Thanks, Michelle. What a great, exciting rock and roll episode we've had. <laughs> that's fun. Well, speaking of rock and roll, I do just want to give a little shout out actually to Neil the Scientist, who indeed did release his own rock and roll EP. <gasps> oh. It's under the name uh, The Neil Sims. Okay. You can find it on Spotify. Check give it out. Give it a listen, guys. Give that record a twirl. <laughs> just also want to give another quick shout out before we end. Of course, to one of the Beacon twins, Jane Beacon, who gave us an incredible resource. The Supernatural book. A Supernatural book. Thrilled with that. So thank you, Jane. Thanks, Jane. We're going to be using that in future for episodes. We certainly will. It might be the new Judy annual. I think so. Listen, Michelle, we've come to the end of the show. We have. And there's only one thing to say, Geordie. What's that, Michelle? Wherever you are. Oh, whatever you do. (laughs) Just keep... Eavesdropping. 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 Eavesdropping.